Well, hello and uh, welcome uh, to Pod of the Gaps. In fact, the first uh, episode of Pod of the Gaps 2022. We are the podcast that tries to think about theology and culture and the big ideas going on with a bit of banter. Do that from a Christian perspective and address the, the topics that no one else is, uh, is talking about, hence the gaps in the title. And uh, my name is uh, Andy Bannister. And my name is Aaron Edwards. And there's only ever been two people in this podcast. Is that right, Andy? Oh, I don't know. Which, which third person could you be thinking of? No, oh, regular no. listeners will will notice we are, we are down. We are down a team member. Aren't man we? down, man down. Yeah, and down, man overboard. We're missing. We're missing Michael Otts with his with his banter and his witticisms, his shorts, his sandals, his bread making during podcasts. And so where is where is Sir Michael of Otts, Aaron? Where's he gone? He's he's. I think he's on a beach somewhere, isn't he? We're researching his latest book. That's all, that's all I can imagine. No, the bad news is, you know, Michael is a is. If you listen to the show, you know he's a, he's a frail uh, chap. A, a breath of air will just blow him off a mountain. And um, Michael, right now, has sadly got so much going on with kind of work and writing and, and everything else that he's he, he's struggling to find time for podcasts. So he has taken a slight hiatus from the show. At least that's his excuse. Uh, I, I still tease him. We talk most days. I still think he's on a beach somewhere. In fairness, he was before Christmas. He was doing an amazing volume of uh, CU Christmas Carol services. I saw him on Facebook every other couple of days, speaking in Oxford, Manchester. It's kind of amazing. So he has amazing what you can do with Photoshop these days. You can take one photo <laughs> and just drop yourself into different locations and make it look like you're an international speaker. He's the international evangelistic man of mystery. Sure. He, is the, he is the Austin Powers <laughs> of. Uh, <laughs> That's right. But um, the other thing, of course, has happened since we were, it's been about sort of six weeks since we last did an episode. And uh, with Christmas and everything that's happened, there's been Christmas, we've had New Year. And uh, it was exciting because um, something quite, you know, big and exciting happened last weekend, didn't it, didn't it, Aaron? You had some very strange visitors turned up. We on did. <laughs> yeah, I got a text from a certain um, Andy Bannister, of course. That is you, isn't it? That is you, yes. Um, um, my, he, my lawyers have advised me not to say. Not to say either way. Not yeah, he's say. like, we need somewhere to crash. So I had to say to my poor wife who was already hosting two other families that weekend for different things is it okay if we have a family and their children to stay overnight in our baby's room that we need to clear out within a day's notice and um amazingly she was happy to host and uh, she has a very wonderful gift of hospitality so that was nice and, and we really enjoyed uh, meeting the banister clan the ban clan as it were Yes, and I have to say though the uh, the uh, well, actually it was great to hang out with you guys. The worst part of it was one of your children decided to give my son uh, as a very kind gift a plastic sword uh, with <laughs> a speaker and lightning. Yes. So now for the last three days we've had this talking electric noise making device waved around the house at every hour of the day and night, and hopefully aimed at you as well. Sadly, yes, absolutely. So I've had I've have I've I've borne the brunt of that sword for many years. So I'm kind of really happy to give it as a gift from my family to yours. It's like an ancient tradition, yeah. passing a sword on, so the father can be attacked by a different boy. by a different small child. Yeah. And of course, you know this is all we always mentioned kind of New Year a moment ago, and uh, you know one of the big things at, at New Year is of course uh, resolutions, uh, very much mm. in the air. So did you make any resolutions? This year, Aaron, I can see the viewers, listeners can't see, but you are wearing what is, I suppose you could call it a beard. I think it looks more like one of Chewbacca's hand-me-downs. Um, but is, is not shaving a New Year's resolution for you? <laughs> yes, that's right. I uh, I do have um, a, a strange beard on my face right now. But actually, that's because um, it was my daughter who requested, my eldest daughter requested a beard for Christmas, which is an odd, quite a cheap Christmas present, really. 
just not shaving. Um, obviously, that's not all we got her. When you say um, request the beard, like on you, or just she herself <laughs> has a beard that she could she could wear. That's a very yeah. It wasn't for herself. Yeah, that would be quite yeah. Pray, pray for me that a beard would grow on my face. It wasn't quite uh, that. Yeah, she wanted. She said she wanted. I think she's been reading a lot of books about. Um, pioneer woodsman or something i can only assume and and i'm i'm not masculine enough as a father until i have a beard it could be something like that i don't know but yeah it's growing so it's getting to the stage now where i have to do something with it or or not like i either become the backwoodsman uh image of just crazy wild or, or i cultivate it and become one of those beard cultivating men which you know i've never never been so it's tricky have you ever had a beard on as this banister, the banister yes, face I've, 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 I've about two or three years ago one summer i decided i would i would grow the beard and i got i think two months in and um i decided that it was itching it was itching to hell and uh so i shaved it off and at that point i traumatized my kids because they'd fallen in love with the beard and so for your beard you could shave that off put it put it put it in a little aquarium and it could be the family pet you know <laughs> that's right yeah i could send i could grow enough and send it to you then you wouldn't have to grow yeah, it to it. Know, we'll stop we'll step right there <laughs> Yeah, um, <laughs> resolutions right are interesting because um you know every you know we've just obviously talked about them and every every year you know around new year the the, the the news is full of resolutions and what resolutions should you do and celebrities giving up this that mm. and the other i think the british prime minister is planning on giving up having you know drinks parties in the garden for those who yeah. follow the british news um <laughs> And I don't. I just finished to get your your take on this as a theologian and observer of culture. You know, is mm. is there something interesting going on there? Because on the one hand, we live in this incredibly secular culture, but then it, we still have these sort of almost near religious rituals. Mm. And New Year, uh, sort of the end of the year, is a big thing. You know, the big parties and you know uh, fireworks displays, and people feel the real need to mark that moment when, quite frankly, time is a human invention. Right. I mean, midnight doesn't really mean anything on New Year's mm. Eve. And then, you know, New Year's Day rolls around and everyone's into resolutions and, and promising to change and, and stuff. So mm. is this another sign of the way in that, in, in, do you think, in, in that though outwardly we might be a secular culture, underneath something quite different is going on? Mm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And again, it just makes it, you think about the fact that we use the word secular to mean non religious. <clears throat> And it sort of means that in the sense that there's a space supposedly where there is no transcendence required. Like you're you're partitioned off from all of that religious mumbo jumbo. Um, but before we had organized religions, let's say in the West, if you had sort of elements of paganism, of course, that's religion of a different sort. <clears throat> well, really what we see today is another form of paganism, the need to mark certain times in your life, the need to sort of re-establish a connection with the natural world in some way. And to find just a reason for being, meaning, and meaningful traditions. And so some of that isn't bad. It's not like a bad, like the Christians have often engaged with pagan traditions and either baptized them or taken them over or annexed them or altered them in some way. There are good redeemable things even in uh, traditions that we keep and, and things that bring structure and meaning to life. And I think, to be honest, uh, some uh, evangelical churches, we probably don't recognize the importance of tradition enough because we sort of are used to thinking um, everything in terms of an amorphous blob of time, and so Christmas. Should, does, we yet we are really inconsistent because we celebrate Christmas and Easter. We don't follow the calendar. That's a tradition thing. We are just engaging with God every day in our own kind of charismatic way, um, and therefore doesn't really. We don't have to celebrate any particular festival except Christmas and Easter because they're good evangelistic opportunities. But really, we do secretly like them because we do quite like the value of tradition and. So some of them, there's a human element to it. There's a human element to wanting to mark time and to and to do uh, 
to find them as meaning markers in life. And another way, it's yeah, it shows, as you say, that the transcendent is bleeding its way through the secular mm. ceiling. Um, and we don't, we're not really, we're not half as secular as we think we are as a culture. Even when Christians look at culture, you can yeah. just see that. So the New Year's resolutions is a great example. We still need a religious structure <clears throat> to improve our life. What am I going to make of my life? I'm going to take stock and think, what have I done up to this point? How can I make myself a better person in the new year? So it's kind of very interesting to observe that every new year. One final thing I'll say is <clears throat> more of a humorous one. When I used to work at Costa, which you found out because I made you a coffee yes. when you came to stay with no, us. Not, not was it nice? Did you like it, by the way? It was pretty good. It was pretty good. good. Oh, I mean, yeah. Definitely eight out of ten. Eight out of ten, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah the, uh, to score a nine, I'd expect the next time I come an app, you know, if I <laughs> reorder the coffee at your house on an app. That's fine. Points towards the next that, one. That's fine. Next time you come, of course, I'll give you an app. But of course, I'd like some payment from you. So I'd like three pound fifty uh, next time <laughs> you come. But no, I used to, every uh, New Year. Whenever I was on the New Year, I was always on the New Year's Day shift because I wasn't usually out going, getting drunk on New Year's Eve. So some of my colleagues would work other times, and I, I think I'd get Sundays off, and I had to cover the days when they'd be hung over and couldn't come in um and new year's day you'd always get people coming in <laughs> it was our highest uh, day of the year for like skinny lattes and uh, you know the things that were normally kind of more awkward to make uh, you had to use different pots uh, different sort of jugs to make the sort of various coffees and it was always people with this massive big new vision that would last about you know regulars would come in and oh, i'm changing from my normal cappuccino to a skinny decaf soya latte um and then that would last till about the 17th of january of course and then they go back to their usual sort of yeah yeah so anyway so it is like we'll never get away from it i don't think however secular we become i don't think we're going to get away from the need to try to improve ourselves and mark time and create structures of meaning which actually tell you more about the fact that you're created and and you're created for meaning rather than just you know i'm just living my own life individualistically Um, just to show that there are other coffee chains available, one of my favourite memes I've got is a little cartoon uh, that says, uh, "I no longer buy my, uh, I no longer go to Starbucks. Instead, I make my own coffee at home, mispronounce my own name as loudly as possible, and light a five dollar bill on fire." Um, <laughs> I, I quite like. No, I think I think there's something in there. I mean, we've mentioned on the podcast um, before, so you know, regular listeners will be familiar with this. So Charles Taylor, you know, very well known mm. Canadian. Uh, theologian and uh, and philosopher wrote this incredibly big fat book uh, called A Secular Age a few years ago. And boy, it is a big fat mm. book. It's you know you, you need several weeks to get through it, but there's great stuff in there. And he, I think, really presses in to this sort of sense that mm. you've got you've really got these sort of two sort of you know sort of streams in culture going opposite directions. On the one hand, this idea there is you know there is nothing above us. We, we yeah. live in a bungalow, as it were, metaphysically. There is no spiritual. There's no spiritual realm of any shape or form. But then on the other hand, you have all of these you know, kind of ghosts of transcendence um, mm. banging around the place, things that really only make sense in mm. a spiritual age. And those tensions are all over our culture. And I think this is definitely mm. one of them. And the thing I, the thing I find fascinating uh, about it all, Aaron, is that even this sort of sense that we know we should change, we should do better. Mm. There is this, mm. this kind of oughtness to mm. human life that bubbles up everywhere i mean we, we certainly see it in the way that culture responds to others we live in a very judgmental culture where if you tweet mm. the wrong thing mm. uh, say the wrong thing hold the yeah. hold the you know, not not woke enough opinion yeah. um then you know a ton of bricks comes down on you 
Yeah. Um, so there's that side of it. So you ought to be a different person. But mm. then, you know, New Year is when we kind of beat ourselves up. You know, we, we mm. need to stop drinking those unhealthy coffees. I, you know, we need to, <laughs> I, I lose track of how many New Years have passed when I've resolved that, you know, next, this year is going to be the year I take up running. And it hasn't happened this year, actually, because the weather's <laughs> been a bit, a bit pants. But usually I get the jogging shoes out of the cupboard. And for about, yeah, you're right, around about the 17th of January <laughs> is roughly how long the I'm going to run a 5K run three times a week makes it until and then it's like nah i'll just sit on the sofa um, it takes 17 days to give up a habit <laughs> you could say that. it does yeah. i mean you say that it's interesting one of my one of my colleagues at solas was doing a bit of writing on this for us recently and he came across i think it's an american uh, psychotherapist called joseph burgo and mm-hmm. it's very interesting you know this dr burgo had written on this whole question of why we find res- why you know why we find resolution so hard and change so hard but it was really interesting because i don't think he's a christian um, but there are Christian echoes to some of this, and he points out that you know. So the reason that human beings fail to change is the first thing is we don't know who we are. We 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 have a very naive view of who we really are. And I thought, oh hello, Christianity has something to say about that one. And um, we tend to blame others. You know, we're naturally wired to blame others for our failures. The reason I'm not a better person is because those guys over there. Mm. And then lastly, it's just we we don't appreciate how much change is really hard work. And as I read that list that my colleague had produced from his summary of what the psychotherapist was saying, I was thinking, mm. that's fascinating because Christianity, at least when you take biblical Christianity seriously, you know, discipleship is such a big mm. part of things. And all of those are very biblical themes, right? A big yeah. part of the gospel is realizing that actually we don't know ourselves properly and we need to let you know Jesus do the diagnosis and tell mm. us who we really are. Um, and we can, we, can, we can hear that confidently because here's one who loves us so much he dies for us. Um, but still has some things to say about who we really are. Mm. That tendency mm. to blame others. You know, I love the fact that gospel is the great leveler. We are all sinners. Mm. Um, you know, yes, some of us have done different things differently, um, but the th- yeah. in the end in of the day, we're in the same boat. But the fact that it's hard work, and I do wonder, actually, that's in the church we can forget that. Sometimes we, we're always after these shortcuts. You know, if I just read this book, my prayer life will improve. If mm. I just do this shortcut or this shortcut. Yeah, yeah. Something about Christian discipleship is a, I forget who used the phrase long obedience in the one direction that it's, um, you know, if you're a Christian for 70, 80, 90 years, well, that's 70, 80, 90 years mm-hmm. of, of working really hard to follow yeah. Christ, not the ups and yeah. downs. It's not, a, there's no, no shortcuts on that road. Yes. Yeah. And, and we always want to find, so, so right, right. We always want to find the easier solution that and maybe that you're right. The publishing, the Christian publishing industry um, doesn't always help that. I say that, of course, to you, a great po- popular published uh, author, working on your next book, no doubt. Published author, I wouldn't. The word published. popular might be just slightly overdoing it. Oh yeah, published. Well, you know, not you're not writing academic books like me that don't no one ever reads. But like, I mean, like the, you know, the, there are just books that come out all the time. There's an endless amount. We've talked, we've done podcasts before, haven't we? On on the the sheer volume of books that are there, and you've got to make choices on. And it is true that you do gravitate to things that will just quickly get you to the next stage of life. And it doesn't feel that doesn't feel like the most Christian way to go about things in terms of how scripture pushes us to go through trials and how God will use those trials of adversity often to shape us and chip things away from us and sanctify us. I don't mean, you know, there's a sort of theology of suffering, the theology of the cross, almost in Luther's terms, but that we're following the way of the cross. We don't want to glorify suffering too much because obviously there's also times of needing to really glorify God and, and love God in and through the prosperity we may he may bestow upon us uh, without it being a prosperity gospel there's clearly an element of we need to learn how to feast and learn how to fast but i do think it's interesting with the shortcut thing 
like you some things you kind of have to go through yourself that are adversities in order to grow and that you won't it's not actually possible for someone else to do it for you like you i can't go running for you um in order to improve your cardiovascular fitness and so but yet we do almost do the same for spiritual fitness in a way we sort of almost think well i'll just read this book and then i will benefit from the fitness of another person as it were spiritually speaking and of course they can give you wisdom and help which is you know why reading clearly is important and why we're maybe listening to a podcast might be important but it's almost to spur you to going you're never gonna have to be able to run away from the path yourself you don't ever get to run away from like the wrestling with god and the journey he's put you on and the fact of what it means to live in community with others who are different to you and you're going to chip things off each other how iron sharpens iron so one man sharpens another in the proverb so that's going to happen and you can't do that in advance you can't conceptualize it you can't just think it out and eventually work and and, then work its way out in you you've got to kind of go and do it so there's sort of a taking this challenge on um, which is more important than just just making a resolution or putting yourself under a new set of laws or rules Mm. Well, the law and rule thing interests me too, right? Because, you know, I found it fascinating, you know, watching culture over the last couple of years. And then as I was thinking about the New Year's resolution thing, I think this taps into the same thing. We do live in this culture that's increasingly law-based, don't mm. we? So to go, you know, in terms of, you know, heroes and villains in our culture, mm. everything is very legalistic to go, you know, here is the standards that you're supposed to measure up to, particularly the beliefs and ideas you're, you're supposed to subscribe to. If you don't, you are instantly, um, you know, beyond the pale. Very, very, very kind of legalistic um, mm. on that regard. But then, of course, the whole resolution thing too. It's all about you know, sort of striving harder and beating oneself harder and pressing. Mm. Uh, you know, you're on that way. And there's, I don't think our culture has any real understanding of, of forgiveness, any real understanding of grace, and no real understanding where the power to change mm. comes from. Mm. And I suppose. One of the things that both encourages me, but also, I suppose, challenges me a little bit. I think in the church, of course, we know there's a better answer. There's a better, mm. there's a better story here. But mm. I think at the same time, the church, I think we have two tendencies. One is that we ape culture. And so whatever it is, culture is saying, we feel the need to say the same. We've, over the last yeah. you know, year of part of the gaps, we've, we've critiqued church leadership for that. Um, yeah. you know, I think of um, during the height of the covid pandemic where the archbishop of canterbury you know god bless him mm. largely just sounded like a branch of government tweeting health and safety ad- yeah. advice yeah. Um, <laughs> but then on the other hand yeah. um we sometimes react the other way in the church and and we become everything becomes touchy and feely and jesus is my best friend and, mm. and you just all we need to go is do is go to church on sunday sing some worship songs and get the warm fuzzies with jesus or um, don't sing or don't sing or, or don't or don't or don't sing yeah. um yeah. but you get the warm fuzzies yes, yes. love the experience and we don't actually sit down and think through the hard business of going, well, actually, you know, there is a way in which God would have his walk. Um, mm. And it's mm. interesting, isn't it? Every age, the church, I think, has to face this battle of mm. walking that line between, you know, sort of legalism and, and, anti- and, and anti-nominism. Um, mm. And I'm mm. not quite sure where our, where the church is in mm. today's culture. I know we've actually provocatively titled this episode, you know, Challenges for the Church in 2022, and we're going to, we're going to come to that. We're going to unveil our lists of what we think yes. those challenges are and also therefore set up some topics we're going to talk about on the mm. show going forward. But yeah, it does it does say fascinate me um, and disturb me slightly that, that, I, mm. that I think we have forgotten how to walk that line at times. Mm. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're dead right on that. I wonder, it's, it's, it's a cacophony, isn't it? It's it's complete, like, like the culture, really. It maybe even shows how the church is being led 
too closely by the culture, which we've uh, an issue we've talked about many times. Um, that we're almost we're even echoing that cacophony of um, doing two, you know, living in two kind of attitudes which aren't at all compatible. Um, so I do think the church is far too soft in terms of we don't really do church discipline anymore. Like how many, you know, you don't have you don't usually have people who are called to high levels of discipleship, and when you do, those those leaders tend to get in trouble. For example, like they they might be called heavy shepherds or spiritual abusers rather because they're abusing their power to make people feel like they're not good enough and that that may well be the case with some situations but i do think our natural tendency is to be wary of any christian leader who will call people to a higher standard or something in the way like a bonhoeffer did when he talked about cheap grace um and he was in a very unique situation yeah. of course in setting up finkenwalder um the kind of underground seminary in the, in the face of the nazis but He's gathering people together, and his inspiration has been so pervasive across the church, across different denominations. People love Bonhoeffer, and they love his book, *The Cost of Discipleship*, or, or his other, you know, the other *Life Together*. The kind of uh, sense of what radical kind of Christian communities should really look like. And I just think that we want that in theory, and then when it really comes to like, oh, but this might mean you have to actually do this, or this, or this differently, or you might have to say no to this, or, or yes to this. Oh, no, thank you. I, I like the idea. I like the idea of radical discipleship. I don't really like having to actually do it. Is that can I just read a book about it? That'd be that'd be much easier. Can I just do that instead? Yeah. So I think that's kind of the issue we have. But you're right. At the same time, we have this kind of what desire for the higher discipleship. Yet we're kind of very overly probably cheap graced. So we almost use grace and God loves you regardless all the time. So there's no real motivation for people to grow in holiness. And at the same time, we also have a weird legalistic litigious tendency, which again we get from our Western overly organized western culture for sure where we want we want to conform to things that are very inappropriate and we, we're happy to give up freedoms very easily it's a very odd mix yeah but obviously you know for all we've said about resolutions uh if as if listening to the podcast you haven't made any new year's resolutions i can certainly encourage uh you to make the resolution i will listen to every episode of pod of the gaps at <laughs> least twice and uh which is always a, always a good one um so Aaron, we we teased them with this kind of a title for the for the podcast, and as we were sort of you know chit chatting beforehand, I think you came up with a really fun idea of you know why don't we each of us make our list of you know sort of three, four, five things that we think are the the big challenges uh, for the for the church in uh, in twenty twenty two. So I have no idea. Mm. Uh, what you've got on your, uh, your in a way they're the church's new year's resolutions aren't they or what we think should be the church's new year's resolutions yeah um I'll put it this way not resolutions maybe agendas and i mm. think um i think one thing i've been I've, I've actually really been struck by and i guess it was partly the vision right behind creating part of the gaps um you know sort of last year last march i think we began was just this sense that there are these massive issues in culture that the church isn't talking about we're avoiding mm or yes. that we're talking about in a really tack-handed kind of way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, you know, I think it's important the listeners know you and I don't think we are have the answers to everything. We're not doing this podcast because we think, hey, you know, the two of us mm-hmm. or Michael, we're, we're, we're mm-hmm. brilliant, we have all the answers. We do think we have some things to share. We have some mm-hmm. thoughts. We've read a lot. We've listened a lot. But I think to get a conversation going, mm-hmm. um, we're always happy when people disagree with us. Um, but to mm-hmm. not talk about the big issues, mm-hmm. which seems to be increasing the church's default mm-hmm. position, mm-hmm. I think really worries me. Because um, I regularly meet people in the churches as I teach and travel, and people will say to me things like, "You know, I, I wish I, could, I wish I heard sermons on, you know, whatever mm. the issue is, because this is what's being talked about at work, mm. and I have no idea as a Christian how to begin thinking about mm. these uh, issues." So yeah. that's the, that's the key thing. But I think even if we're struggling and we've got to work through the answers mm. uh, to get us talking about these big things, 
So, um, mm. so how do we want to do this? Should we, should we alternate rather than you do your three or four? Should we, should we take yeah. the tag team and you go first? Yes. And I do one. That also means if you steal my best idea, I've got time to think of an alternative. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Okay. You... So you're letting me go first. Okay, great. Go first. What's top of your list? Well, in no okay. order, but what's top, what's top of your okay. list? Okay, so the first, the number one, and I think this feeds into the others, okay, is courage to speak out what we believe. Oh, I love it. The courage to speak out what we believe. That's, for me, foundational to many of the other issues that might come out and the challenges. But I think fundamentally the biggest problem the church has had over COVID, over 2020, over the preeminence of many of the intersectional ideologies we've mentioned in terms of different minority groups having pervasive sort of control over the discourse of how you're allowed to say what you are and not allowed to say that kind of thing. Um, the challenges the church has faced, we've lost courage to speak because understandably we've tried to be very wise about um, not stepping, putting our foot in it. We've been taking stock and sitting back. That's There's absolutely a place for that and there's wisdom, there's timing, there's being aware of the context you're in, the aware of the people you're speaking to. These are really important issues. But fundamentally, courage has taken a huge, huge knock. And I think there'll be people even listening to this who know that that has been the case. It's been something they've been wrestling with um, and they like other people talking about it and they they probably need to think, well, how can I step out more in encouraging others to be courageous? And that's not talking about being silly, saying stupid things for the sake of it. I just mean the courage to actually proclaim what Christians believe, what is in that book that we claim is God's divine wisdom and word for us. So the courage to speak out what we believe, number one. Yeah, I think that's an excellent one. Actually, this is really interesting because um, top of my list is sort of related to that. And I uh, I put um, the lack of depth at times in mm. many parts of the church. It ties into what I said in the intro to this little segment that, you know, we desperately need in the church men and women who have thought these issues through, who've thought yeah. deeply, who've understood the times, who've prayed it through, and then can really then communicate that to the men and women in the in the, in the pew. Because I my heart goes out to, you know, Christians who are Monday through Friday, you know, they're in workplaces, mm. um, you know, they're in universities, and they're facing challenges in their workplaces to mm. their faith, big issues that they need to respond to. You know, perhaps the HR department at your workplace has mm. decided to do some massive push on trans issues, mm. and they're sitting there as a Christian thinking, what do I what do I do? Mm. And they're not mm. hearing their answers. And it increasingly, mm. you know, strikes me that I think a lot of the right that lots of the the, the 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 writers that I read tend to be slightly older ones. And I find myself mm. asking, you know, where you know where are the where are the C.S. Lewis's? Where are the mm. Dorothy L. Sayers? Where mm. are they? You know, some of those giants that we had a few generations ago. They are around. I, I don't want to say mm. everything is 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 shallow, but I do think the church has inclined in recent years. Mm in a slightly mm. kind of slightly shallower direction, particularly some of the mainstream yeah. churches, yes. if I'm brutally honest, yes. those headline denominations, Methodism, Anglicanism, yeah. the Baptist yeah. church that I sort of grew up in, I, I think, gosh, you know, mm. where, where, where's the Spurgeon of, mm. of, of today? Mm. Um, I'm also encouraged because there are, there are some great new young thinkers coming through. Um, there are some great older thinkers actually around who perhaps are not as well known, but there's mm. a real need for depth. We need to really be rooted in scripture rooted in understanding the culture of thought things yeah. through deeply mm. so we can mm. communicate profoundly so depth I think. that's great and that's that helps us to be honest thinking about often uh, it was re- to be resistant to ideologies doesn't it which is sort of similar to what i was saying the earlier yes. my number one is, is that's why it's kind of related because of the ideologies that are pervasive the narratives in culture the church needs to be more resilient and yeah. resistant where it, ne- where it needs to be of course the church can learn things from our dialogue and our our mission 
in the world, but we've been so focused on learning what non-Christian narratives and people can teach us, we've absolutely lost sight of what we believe. So this is my thing, the courage, and your thing with the depth is sort of to say, yeah, mm. we need to be resilient to the ideologies that would knock us off of our uh, out of our rootedness, which needs to be in God and in his word and nourished by that continually, which is a huge, huge thing. So yeah, that's a good one. So what's the second on your list? Then? Second on my list, gender. Oh, gender. Gender. That's not a big uh, controversial issue, is it? Not um, at all. I, I just can't get away from it. I know we should probably, if we were being tactful, we would just never talk about it, um, like many do. Um, or we, when if talking about it, we would say the things you're supposed to say about it. Um, I am still trying to find ways to write and think about this issue. Um, I think it's a really huge Achilles heel for the church. It's like, I would almost have put it number one, but I didn't want to put a particular issue as number one because I don't think the whole of you know, Christianity resides on that. I just think it seems to be the biggest, for me, it's the biggest Achilles heel um, yeah. for the church at the moment, for the evangelical church in particular, um, because it's very, very difficult, even for those who are really rooted in the authority of scripture, to ask questions about certain things which come against the narrative which we sort of are hmm. uh, used to sort of speaking about. So I won't say too much more on that moment. I think it's huge because it affects men and women. It's not, I, I, in my estimation, I think it's damp the way the church has been silent on issues or maybe just switched their views on certain things um, has been damaging to men and women and it affects huge things beyond just individual experiences of men and women it affects mm. loads of other things about what we can and can't say about biblical authority yeah. and it, it start it opens a door to many other things well yeah and i uh, we've talked about this in the past we'll definitely talk about this in the future but i think what i like about you so there is that knock-on thing we don't we don't mm. we forget that the ideas are like a row of dominoes you know you mm. knock one over and then others follow mm. and i think one of the so many books i read last I see one thing. One thing I started doing about three or four years ago. I mean, fairly recently. I've always read a lot, but three or four years ago, I started logging everything I I read mm. in a year because mm. it's quite encouraging mm. actually. Because I often mm. think I'm busy, got young family, and actually mm. I read more than I realise. And so this year, my goal was to read I think sixty books this year, and I made seventy four, which is hugely mm. encouraging. And then all heavyweights. There's lightweight stuff in there. There's fiction, nonfiction. But you read your own book seven times. You told me so that yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. No, I actually read Tolkien's. I read Lord of the Rings twice. Um, once myself and once to the kids. Um, ah. But there's a book called by an uh, American Catholic writer, Mary Ebstart, um, mm. Primal Screams. Mm. And that book is yeah. amazing because it really traces the damage that the sexual revolution and mm. some of the some of the feminism I mm. associated particularly with that has done yes. to women. And it's written by a woman yes. Um, yes. and, uh, you know, a very powerful voice. And that was yeah. – I remember coming away from that book really quite struck actually by yeah. things that at the time didn't seem big shifts mm. add up. And add, 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 add up. So I think I agree with you. And um, mm. funny, it's almost like we compared notes because the second topic on, on my on my list. This must be prophetic. We didn't compare notes. We genuinely to listeners, we did we did not. I'm reading off my uh, my my tablet here. <laughs> my second topic I put on my list was masculinity. I was a bit more specific ah. than you. Um, yes. Again, we've touched on this in the podcast. We need to do an episode or two um, yes. on on this because I think we can. You and I can definitely talk about this being being male. Yeah. It's the last time yeah. I, I, we checked. And yeah. um, I'm struck by the fact that both inside the church and outside it, I think men are are lost in our culture. Mm. They don't know mm. what it means to mm. be men, Christian men particularly, to go. Um, I can't remember who we made this point before, but somebody once said, you know, 
know stereotypes are always dangerous, but a fun stereotype mm. is, you know, you go to a conference on on on, on biblical womanhood. Mm. And my wife has been mm. to many. She she reads this mm. kind of stuff. So I think right. she made this. Yeah. I ran this book past her. She was like, no, that's a fair point. You go to a conference on biblical womanhood and you'll be told how you're a princess, how you're wonderful, how you're valued. It's all positive. You go to many men's conferences and you're told what a rat bag you are, how you're doing all the wrong things. You need to man up and sort your life out and you get some kinds of crap out of you. And I think men in the church don't know what they're supposed to be. Um, they're told all the things they shouldn't be. They're told all the things that are toxic and bad and negative, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. there's no role models as for what real masculinity looks mm -hmm. like that addresses mm -hmm. certainly men would have tendencies to behave in wildly inappropriate ways. I would not dream of suggesting otherwise, mm -hmm. but actually to do that positive Jesus centered, strong dynamic vision of masculinity and i think our mm -hmm. society is screaming out for the mm -hmm. same thing it's why mm -hmm. people like why people like jordan peterson his mm -hmm. youtube channel has millions and he packs out conferences because mm -hmm. men particularly Absolutely. young guys are looking yep. for some mm -hmm. kind of leadership and mm -hmm. i think the church here again has, has largely been silent mm -hmm. um that's, been yeah the masculinity that's yeah I that's, think, that's you know, a yeah i've certainly amening that that's it that's a and by the way as an evangelist i think it strikes me that you know it's fascinating on the one hand you know, the church is sometimes critiqued for being patriarchal. Uh, well, if it is, it's interesting. It's the only patriarchal structure I know that's basically stuffed for the women because there are far yeah. more women in our churches than men. Yeah. And as yeah. an evangelist, I would tell you, it's much easier in some ways to reach women. Mm. It's often a, mm. a, a bit of a sort of truism yeah. in, evangelism yeah. in circles when evangelists get together and tell one another stories, that often what will happen is, you know, the women are reached. And then and then if it's a couple, it's mm. the husband may, you know, mm. God willing, come to faith yes. through his wife it's very rare it might take tw 10 or 20 years of her yeah. dragging him along or, or exactly. faithfully you know amazing I isn't think it? Yeah. we struggle a bit to engage for the church to engage men we don't know mm. how to do it and that's mm. part of that bigger mm. issue so anyway there's a whole list there's a whole raft of topics around mm. around masculinity um, yeah that's a really no really good point there's that there's that book by dave murray which i hope someone writes a british version of because it's a bit americanized with its examples but the uh, dave murray why men hate going to church that made the rounds a few years ago which probably hasn't been quoted for a while i expect because these books kind of come and go but it speaks into what you're saying so if you just to, I, i'm obviously amening that I, I absolutely affirm the need to um a robust masculinity i'd want to say probably at conferences maybe guys respond and let's not get into the topic now we'll do it another anyway time. So i wanted to say if a, woman, if a woman was listening wouldn't she say wouldn't, aren't you just likely to say that, Andy, because you're a man and you think you know, masculinity is important? Why is that the second most important thing the whole church has to worry about? Like, is, is it what you've said, the evangelistic angle? Is that what you think is the main thing? I think, yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on there. I think it's that tied into your gender piece. It's very easy to talk about feminism and people you're yeah. hearing because people know. And that's not that's not there's nothing wrong in that it's it's absolutely right that we, we talk about ensuring that the church is engaging with women and the issues facing women and you know a lot of the issues in culture right now that, that the you know that, that we had harvey weinstein we've now got what's going on with prince andrew and epstein and all of this stuff let's let's talk about that and deal with that but that's i think overshadowed some of the issues facing facing men you know my eyes were first opened to this by a friend of mine in canada who's actually you know an ardent secularist he and i've you know done debates on faith and atheism in the past when I lived in Canada and then he moved on from the sort of secularism movement to get involved in in the men's movement and I remember saying to him why is that he said well his eyes were open because he had a friend of his who had a messy divorce and lost the kids totally all access went and immediately and he said well, I began looking around I saw that was a very common story he said I raised a lot of my, my male friends um you know have massive issues of access to the kids because everything is tilted in favor of the women yeah, and he yeah. said 
you know, that began making me realize that no one is talking about the issues mm-hmm. facing men, yeah. suicide, self-harm, depression, yeah. anxiety, all of those yeah. things. And so, yeah, I would not want to be heard to be saying, therefore, we mustn't. But I think mm-hmm. there's a slight corrective. Mm-hmm. And I would put that under yeah. the umbrella of gender. That you yeah, sure. Are having a Absolutely. healthy conversation yeah. around where, do, where can the church do better when it comes to femininity? Where can it do better when it comes to masculinity? Mm-hmm. But what, how do we help the men and the women in our churches become the men and women that God has created them to be? Um, that's going to require some brave conversations yep. because there may be there may be some landmines yep. there that we tread on, on and that's these. precisely why i had why i have courage as the top because yes. i think i think it is the m- most important specific issue but i think we're not going to even get to the issue if we don't have courage yeah. both on all sides of the debates courage to face the questions honestly and openly so that's great we're, we're, um, we're running rapidly out of time so <laughs> Where's Happy Michael Ott when you need him just to kind of tell us to be, yeah, to spin on? Right. So, f- number three, <clears throat> what church looks like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, I think post pandemic, post COVID, we've obviously got the whole digital thing. Churches and places are still working out. How do we maintain hybrid church? What of this tech stuff do we continue when there's no longer a need for a lockdown? Well, we don't know when that will happen. We don't know when COVID, maybe COVID will never end. Um, but there'll be a, there's still a sense of a residue of all of the things that pastors and leaders of churches had to think about um, because of the pandemic. And it's made them think, oh, why, why do I do church like this? Why have we always done it like this? And they needed almost that time of not doing what they normally do for the sake of it to then refresh and think again. And some pastors you know, ex- expressed that and said, you know, I've actually enjoyed having less time. Uh, less sort of focus on just running meetings for the sake of running meetings or or whatever, preparing sermons because that's what one does. So it's like what church looks like. It feeds into this, the big cultural battles the church is going to face. And I think we're going to face them thick and fast. And we have been already, and it's going to get worse and more and more difficult. And so churches need to be robust and they need to be flexible. They need to be able to um, get to what we were saying earlier how do we get to radical discipleship where we've got people really living their hearts out for jesus in this world um, rooted in his word rooted in the in his in his spirit um and flourishing by his spirit as well and 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 not then just falling and and flailing at all, all the kind of challenges that come our way we need strong intentional communities that are going to do that but which are also outward facing which are also still proclaiming the gospel and being a light to the world rather than a light unto ourselves so I, in many ways, I think we need stronger um, relationships within churches and stronger kind of communities. That might mean smaller churches that are more robust and able to be more flexible, or but it also might mean, uh, yeah, ch- facing the battle of what that means to be outward facing and bringing people into into those communities who are a bit different to what we normally kind of expect. So there's challenges of what the church looks like, how the church imagines itself. We're good. Okay, so that's your three. My. Yep. I guess my last one then to equal the three on either side of the list would be, I was thinking a lot about this because there's so many things I, I could I could say. and uh, But I think the one that I keep coming back to, Aaron, would be around technology. Mm. Um, so many things, you know, it's been commented a lot in, in the wider culture around just how damaging social media uh, is, is increasingly becoming. It's uh, shut down the ability for us to have good conversations, certainly politically in society, even within the church. You know, um, very easily things become these massive great Twitter fights. There's all nuance, lost, mm. left, mm. lost. We have Twitter mobs, Twitter pylons, mm. um, you know, all kinds of things going on. Um, then we have the huge influence of the big technology companies controlling, you know, the Overton window, what can be said and what can't be said. 
Yeah. I think the church has got a massive task to do. Many people still think, oh gosh, if I have a little website, my church and a, and a social media feed, it'll all be wonderful. Um, mm. But actually, there's much bigger pieces um, in play. And linked into that, I think, is the fact that society is becoming, partly through the influence of technology, far more totalitarian. Again, we've seen that during the, the COVID pandemic with, you know, governments decide, taking it upon themselves to decide who you can or can't meet, even in the, the confines of your own home. And uh, now we're moving out of the pandemic, I think, finally, at least in many parts of the world. But I think governments, once they've taken powers up, are often very slow to release those powers. Mm. And I think the church may be, you know, coming into an age where actually things are more restricted, things are more controlled. Mm. Um, it's, there's, there's far more difficulties we're going to face. And so I think thinking smartly around mm. technology, and that's before we even get into big topics like artificial intelligence, mm. transhumanism. <laughs> you know, what as what Christians do we have to say uh, about those topics that mm. are increasingly beginning the one, being the ones that everyone's mm. talking about in society? Yeah. So technology, you know, my third... Wow. On the list, so that gives us That's courage, a- depth, gender, masculinity. Uh, what does the church look like in technology for six topics? There we go. Nicely, nicely rounded off. Great. Well, there's so much. Well, I'd love to talk more about all those things, but maybe actually we should just be doing episodes on all those things again, even if we covered those things before. And so, if you are a regular listener of Part of the Gaps, um, look forward to some of these themes and more being discussed over this next year. And please feel free to keep um, sending us your feedback and. Uh, your kind of comments or ideas, suggestions for topics we could do in future episodes. And we do help as always that we hope that this um, podcast blesses you and uh, you're able to share it with those you know who might find it helpful to help the church to uh, plug those gaps, to face the battles um, we're going to face with um, the world um, moving forward uh, this year with all of the things that are going to happen and in light of all the things that already have happened. So we just hope that this is, continues to be a good resource for you as you think through Uh, what it means to be a disciple of Christ in this world. Um, I've been Aaron Edwards, and that has been Andy Bannister. It has indeed, and this has been Part of the Gaps. We'll catch you next time.